Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 21st edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my fellow Hans Zimmer appreciator, Jaden. Hello. And PTA's number one fanboy, a.k.a. Fitzy, a.k.a. Liam. Hi. We're really feeling this one today. (laughs) (laughs) I sense a good show coming up. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinema Effect, the most exciting podcast on the internet where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts... Every Monday, you can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe, rate us, follow us, tell your friends, grow the show. We can do that with your contributions. So thanks in advance. And uh, stuff you if you don't. So, uh, yeah, do that. Remember to submit your questions, thoughts, reviews for next week's film in the uh, comment section of the YouTube video. Uh, You can submit anything there. We'll read them at the end of next week's show. But we have our specific question prompt, question of the week, to ask you. And we want you to answer this very simple question. What's your favourite original song in a film? Let us know the answers. I don't know what the hell I'll say for that, but uh, yeah, there are some good there are some good options, I guess. So let us know. This week we're talking about a little film called Fargo. And uh, I'll get straight into the data dump for you. So Fargo opened in the US on the 5th of April 1996. It was directed by... Joel Cohen, but of course, Ethan Cohen as well, who's uncredited. Um, do either of you guys know why? Is that another Academy thing? Um, I'm um, not sure for this one. I thought that Joel just hemmed it like on his own. I didn't realize that Ethan was uncredited. Okay, cool. Yeah, I- I've got no idea why he's uncredited then. But uh, but they both get writing credits, so yeah, who knows? Ethan Cohen and Joe, uh, Joel Cohen wrote it. Uh, the cinematography was by Roger Deakins, who's now appeared multiple times in our films, and thus Roger Deakins can be a friend of the show, a friend of Cinema Effect. Good for him. You know, (laughs) he's up there with an upper class of incredible filmmakers like David Webb Peoples, so good for him. And, I mean, he he deserves to be there, you know. David Webb Peoples, he's like, eh, don't know if we need him in there, but anyway, he's in there. The film stars William H. Macy, Francis McDormand, and Steve Buscemi. Uh, The film won... At the Academy Awards in 1997, Best Lead Actress for Frances McDormand and Best Screenplay for the Coen Brothers. It had a budget of $7 million and a worldwide box office of $61 million, so a very profitable film on our, on our hands here. Uh, the genre is a crime thriller. It had a runtime of one hour and 38 minutes, just breezes by, and the synopsis is... I have to say, I don't really like the synopsis very much, but Jerry Lundegaard's inept crime falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and the persistent police work of the quite pregnant Marge Gunderson. Why the fact that she's quite pregnant has to be in the synopsis written like that? Kind of random. Kind of weird. Anyway, Fargo, uh, Jane, you hadn't seen it before. What was your reaction to it? I don't know. Uh, I feel kind of weird about it because, like, I liked it and like, you know, I enjoyed watching it and like it was good, but like for some reason I, I couldn't connect with it fully. Like, you know, there was something that was holding me back from actually like getting wholly invested into it, you know? Um, and I'm not sure what that is, but um, yeah, I thought, mm-hmm. it was, thought, I thought it was good. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. I, I Yeah, I kind of feel that too a little bit, but uh, you'd seen it before, Fitzy. I hadn't. Um, what was your rewatch reaction? Yeah, I think it's pretty great. Very clever, you know, dialogue and um Oh yeah. It's just very well paced and has, you know, good characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The the most uh standout 
aspect of this entire thing to me is the fact that it is a comedy, really. Um, it, it's such an interesting sense of humour that this movie has. It was quite bizarre. I didn't know it was a comedy at all until you guys said it at the end of last week's show. Um, and that was like kind of like a spoiler to me a little bit, I guess, if I'm being over the top about it. But then even still, like knowing it was a comedy, like the no- the nature of the comedy still surprised me when I was watching it. It, it somehow no matter what expectation I had of it, it somehow still managed to surprise that expectation or, or uh, subvert it, I guess. So that was interesting. Um, I really liked the movie too. I think the the humour and the performances and the, the script really are the standout elements of what make it work. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't know if I could fully 100% click with it either, Jaden. Um, and I think if I have to select one element of why... I think it might be the ending um, and just the way it kind of wraps up because first act I was all in. I thought this was great. I was enjoying the hell out of it. I was fully uh, invested. So I feel like that might be it, but we'll get into that. I don't know. But did this kind of comedy surprise you like it did me, Jaden? Because I don't know if I've seen another movie that has humor like this explicitly. No, not really. I mean, like, because I know the Coen brothers are pretty famous for having that you know, a, a, a bit obscure kind of comedy. I mean, like I've seen Burn After Reading and I've seen um part of Oh Brother Where Up There. Oh, okay. And, you know, knowing that they direct, you know, that Joel directed The Big Lebowski and like stuff like that, I knew that there was this element of comedy in there. So, um, and like that's a comedy, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it was it was like, you know, what I was expecting. So that wasn't exactly shocking to me. So Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, I've only ever seen, uh, only Coen Brothers movie I've seen is, uh, what's it called, buddy? No Country for Old Men. So, yeah, I, I have no expectation for their style of comedy. Okay, so it's interesting they've known for this. Okay, cool, cool. Um, is the comedy the standout element for you guys? Because, I don't know, like, the story, like, it's fine. I like the characters, but uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a pretty straightforward story, which isn't a bad thing at all. But, I don't know, I feel like the comedy is this film's defining feature. Do you guys disagree, or is that the consensus? I don't know. I think it's. I think the comedy is important into elevating the film to what it is, because of it's. It's such a stark contrast to, you know, the the what we get on screen about you know this this, this you know this tale of like, um you know a, a botched you know crime going wrong and like it gets pretty dark at some point. So like having the comedy to balance it out, it it it, it definitely helps and elevates the film. And I wouldn't. Say, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's a standout, but it, it definitely is important. Mm. Okay, okay. Does the comedy vibe with you, Fitzy? Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah? Well, I like some parts better than others. Like, I think Steve Buscemi or Buscemi is, like, one of the best parts of the right. movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. I, I kind of... I like all of the comedic performances from the... Uh, and the comedic timing from the three main leads. I mean, Steve Buscemi, obviously, you know, like... Uh, I've got trivia here that the that role was specifically written for him, and you can tell, and that's great. And you know he, he fits into that that character perfectly. But uh, William H Macy was a standout for me. I've never seen him in a movie in my life. Um, but like within the first, I don't know, like that that first scene with him even and his performance and the argument he has about Steve Buscemi about um uh when they were meant to arrive and how he's late and all this. It was just. He he kind of captured my attention immediately with his accent and the voice he was doing, and um, 
I thought his performance was really, really good. It just this guy's clearly in over his head. He's got no idea what he's doing, and you know he's he's trying to be do this sneaky shit. But as the synopsis says, he's just inept at it. And I thought that whole thing was really funny. Um, and the same goes for Francis McDormand as well. The fact that these police officers who seem so disconnected, um, and so strange, but I mean she's good at her job, I guess. Like objectively, she gets the case solved pretty pretty snugly due to some luck. Um, but I, I found the whole bit funny where they go to the um, to the crime scene and they find the bodies and it's her and her mate there and they're just looking around doing their police work and how they don't really give a shit. <laughs> they're just like walking around going, oh, yeah. You know, like they always say, oh, oh, it's just the accents, isn't it? I don't know, the mannerisms of these actors and the performances. I think it's so good hmm. about how they just don't give a shit. I think it's so funny. Oh, I was, was going to say one thing I wasn't ready for was um, was a North Dakota accent. Because, like, to me, like, you know, North Dakota, you know, it's kind of in mid-America, so I was expecting. I mean, get, get, it's, it's Northern America, obviously, but, so, but I was expecting a bit more, you know, a, a, like a, a bit, you know, a, a bit more traditional, but, like, you know, listening to it and hearing it, you know, like, like that 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 shocked me, yeah. <laughs> I, tr- I tried to explain it just before I failed miserably, but, yeah, yeah, like the... um. The, the yeah the Minnesotan Minnesotan whatever like stuff they do and the mannerisms yeah it's so funny it needs to be seen to be appreciated really or, or heard rather I guess um hmm. so funny they all go oh yeah oh yeah all the time and oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah thank you you nailed it that's exactly what it is yeah it was so funny and no one really seems to they're all just so carefree and just like everything's super chill except for Steve Buscemi that is, she doesn't really go well for him but everyone else is super chill. Um, in the police department, and I thought that was really funny. Yeah, um, William H. Macy plays a kind of similar character in Magnolia and uh, and um, and Boogie Nights, and um, yeah, it's just like super well cast in that in that oh, way. Awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He just yeah. Oh, th- th- I had some trivia here as well. Um, about how I won't raise it explicitly. You'll get the gist, but it's just that he became convinced that he was perfect for the role, and the Cohen brothers kind of weren't convinced, apparently. And how he basically like made them sit and he, he auditioned and everything. But I couldn't imagine anyone else in that role. He was he was terrific. Um, he was the standout for me in the movie, just because as someone who's never seen him in a movie before, um, I was just blown away by him. Like Steve Buscemi, you know, obviously great. But, you know, I know Steve Buscemi. I know what he's going to deliver. Same goes for Francis McDormand. She's great, obviously. Um, so he was just kind of a total knockout surprise for me, uh, especially with how unique his personality is in the movie. But the fact that he plays similar characters in those movies, that makes me excited to see them too. I don't really like the, you know, the quiet character, but I guess you're not supposed to like him. But I guess he was well cast as, as well. All I could think about when I saw him was... Uh... Because, you know, he plays the Doctor in uh, Until Dawn. So, like, every time he was on screen, I was like, uh, good old Peter. Oh, he that's a good shout. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, yeah, I don't know how to feel about him, actually. I guess he kind of worked. He worked fine in that role. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to judge him too badly. He didn't really have many lines, which is obviously the point. But um, I guess this is more a credit to Steve Buscemi. I just loved how he played off of him. Um, mm. Like, the whole scene where in the car and he's just like, oh, you want to sit in silence? Total silence. Total silence. Like, yeah, that was really funny. And that's really all on Steve. So I don't know how much could I actually give the other guy. But 
just the inclusion of the character in general, I think kind of elevates the movie as a result still. Do you have a favourite performance, Fitzy? Is it William H. Macy? No, probably the semi, but... um, Yeah. Do you think the movie is uh, well-paced, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, It it went really fast. Obviously, it's a pretty short runtime, and the humour just kept it rolling for sure. And, And the fact that, you know, I think the story kind of wraps up neatly and pretty straight in a straightforward way. But like, as it's going though, as it's developing with uh, everything that William H. Macy's doing with his father-in-law and the father-in-law wants to go and hand in the ransom himself. But obviously William H. Macy doesn't want that to happen. I keep, I don't want to keep calling him William H. Macy. What's his character's name again? Jerry, Jerry, right? Yeah. All right. Um, the fact that Jerry obviously doesn't want that to happen because it's the whole thing's a scam and he, doesn't want to be exposed and wants to get the million dollars and all that. So there was some good tension there. I liked that. Um, and the dynamic between, yeah, just how kind of, you know, over his head he is with it and the fact that Francis McDormand keeps harassing him coming into his place of work and interviewing him and stuff. So there was some good tension there. I liked that. But, yeah, there are some inclusions in the movie that I, I think are interesting and they don't derail the pacing, but I... And I didn't didn't dislike them necessarily, but I was kind of thinking, especially in retrospect, why was this in the movie? And I guess I'm specifically talking about the whole Bob character um, and how there's this kind of subplot where uh, Frances McDormand catches up with this high school friend of hers, um, goes out to dinner with him, and it's kind of this pretty extended scene. They have a conversation. It comes up a few more times. Um, and it seems to be kind of a part of her character a little bit. I was just kind of confused by it. I don't know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't dislike it. it do you guys see kind of a greater meaning behind the inclusion of that? Fitzy, do you want to take this one or? Yeah, greater meanings all go to Fitzy. No, um, no, it's just because I read about it and I wasn't sure if Fitzy knew about it too. Um, oh, okay. Okay. So, so after that scene and she when, when she learns that uh, he was lying about, you know, getting married in the her dying and what and like you know his partner dying whatever it it's um mm-hmm. it's you know it's in the follow-up where she you know she's eating in, in a car whatever and like you know like there's kind of like a little like revelation of her face and because like she she realizes that um the same mannerisms that that guy in the diner was uh displaying um jerry was also displaying in the interview and since that guy was lying it kind of went into head that maybe jerry was lying as well so that's why she goes back to the car dealership to interview him again and that's why that scene was included. Wow. Right. Oh, wow. No, that's great. That's great. That's <laughs> that's really clever then, actually. Because huh? Because I was thinking that did seem like a random moment. It was a, it was a fine moment. Um, and, yeah, seeing this guy have a mental breakdown was kind of interesting, I guess. It was kind of, yeah. I quite enjoyed that. I thought, I thought that was like, the, yeah, that was, that, was, that was quality. I thought that, you know, just the acting in that scene, you know, the way yeah. he like slowly like comes more and more derailed, you know. Hmm. Yeah, no, the yeah, absolutely, the acting was good in that scene. Um, but I guess, uh, yeah, without that explanation, I guess I just thought the 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 plot points were pretty straightforward of what led her to just you know keep pursuing the case until she you know gets the tip off about the lake, goes to the lake, finds the guy. The end. Um, but that does add an, a bit of extra dimension to it, where she actually figured out for herself based on that experience. Um, to go back to him, that makes sense actually, because yeah, I, I I wouldn't be able to tell you why else. Uh, she would have gone back to him. 
So thanks for that. So uh, with that aside, the pacing's really good then. Case solved. What about you, Jane? Do you have a favourite character slash performance, one or the other, or maybe they're the same? Um, I really like uh, the uh, the stepfather, Wade. I thought it was great because, like, it's kind of like a mix. Oh, yeah, to yeah. like um, Because he's not really like, you know, the stepfather that hates his stepson, but, like, you know, there's there's obviously, like, some kind of, you know, like a, a, a distrust or, like, you know, some some kind of unlike, you know, there's, there's something between them, but it's not, you know, too extensive. So, like, you know, when Jerry starts, you know, when he gives, when he puts that plan forward, you know, Wade's shown to, shown to respect him more. And, you know, so I really like that, like that relationship. And I just like the character of Wade anyway, because, like, the way, you know, at the start, we just, like, the, I, I, I can't really describe it. I just thought he was, he was a good character. I, I really enjoyed him. No, I enjoyed him too. Yeah. I, I really did as well. Because he really is one, he's the main kind of obstacle that, uh, Jerry has to deal with for his plan to work. You know, obviously Steve Buscemi's kind of seems like a wild card, but nonetheless, like I think the plan's going pretty smoothly um, for him to get this ransom money up until, yeah, that point when Wade's like stepping in and obviously, you know, he's not going to give up his money that easily. It makes perfect sense. So no, I like that character too. Yeah, because you're right. He didn't like, yeah, he didn't like hate him or anything. It was just kind of this weird submissiveness of of his Son-in-law, I guess, son-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that too. I do wish, though, that the, I don't know, the 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 son character, Jerry's son, he was fine. I felt like we spent a bit of time with him in the first act. I kind of felt like there could have been a stronger payoff there, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it would have been, but that felt like a bit of a missing link to me. I I thought so too, but I I, I kind of just see his inclusion as like, because like in, the, in that scene where he's crying and he's like, you know, are we going to get mum back or whatever? I think that that's kind of like to drive the drive home the fact that what Jerry's done isn't good, like at all. Because like you know, obviously for for the audience, you know, where Jerry's our protagonist, we're kind of rooting for him, and you know, we're kind of hoping for this deal to go smoothly and whatever. But in that scene, you know, you you, you like where he's you know like crying and you know like he's 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 in distress. You kind of realize like you know, it it kind of strips the the, the comedic element away from like what's happened so far, and and you realize you know, this is quite a terrible thing that's actually happened, you know. That's a great point. But, yeah, because we as the audience are aware from the very beginning that, you know, the kidnapping of, of his wife is all, you know, planned and it's, for all intents and purposes, seems pretty risk-free. It doesn't turn out that way, but uh, seems pretty straightforward of an idea of a scam. Um, Jerry's cool with it, obviously, you know. So, yeah, you're right. There does seem this kind of inherent safeness to the whole event that's taking place even though it should be inherently dangerous so that character does actually kind of insert that reminder to the audience that uh this shit is still you know risky and potentially dangerous and you know it's obviously harmful to to someone at least it ends up being very harmful to wade up on the rooftop and steve buscemi's face as well so um like i think it's objectively pretty a pretty good movie like in terms of just like the environment and like cast and pace and all that but but i never like feel the desire to like go back to it or rewatch it or anything you know like um, oh, yeah. it doesn't have like that much of a an effect i guess like i guess it's entertaining but i agree with that um it's definitely entertaining i can see myself rewatching it for sure just enjoying the the characters and the dialogue mm. um but do you think, because I do partially agree with you, do you think that comes from 
the ending at all for you a little bit? I don't know. Um... I say that just because, to me, the ending felt a little... A little neat. It felt like everything was just tied up in a bow pretty nicely. It didn't really leave me with anything to think about. No, not that it has to. Or didn't even really really leave me with any emotion whatsoever. I was just kind of like, I oh, that was a pretty funny movie. I appreciated some of the tense moments. But now that was a nice little ribbon or a bow, you know, wrapped over it right there. Um, do you agree with that? Well, the last line, the last thing, like the pregnant thing, um, mm. Which do we do we know at the start of the movie that she's pregnant? Yeah, that mm. was never obvious to me until pretty late in the movie. They, they mention it comes up like I want to say sometime in the in the uh, like later into the second act or some at some point, and that was the first time I ever noticed that she was pregnant. Really? Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty clear from the start. I mean, like her husband's insistence for her to eat, you know, and like you know her her reference to carrying heavy loads and her struggling to get down on the ground to look into the car. And the way she walks, you know, she has that kind of pregnant walk to her as well. I mean, like, I thought, I thought that was pretty obvious. No, that's that's really fair now that you say that. But I, I guess I was kind of all, – all those different things you're talking about, I can recontextualize to mean something else because I just didn't, didn't like <laughs> – so I need to take it so literally. I didn't physically see her pregnant belly, so therefore I was, like, not focused on that at all. But makes perfect sense. Did you uh, – are you with me, Fitzy, or am I dumb? Um, or, or is the answer yes to both? Um. Oh yeah, I didn't. Well, yeah, I didn't realize she was um pregnant either. So I guess we're both um we're both dumb. But um, Woo. yeah, I was about to say um, like in the car, just the scene before the end where she's with the guy and she's like, you know, I don't understand it or whatever. Like in a way, I think the movie's trying to get at like the classic Coen Brothers um theme of like randomness and all that. You know, like the Big Lebowski and uh, and like No Country and all that, um, just like they do there. But um, I think it's like not as well like developed in this film. Like, I think mm. because the pregnant subplot, the pregnant plot is supposed to be like, you know, she's worried about the world because she's having like a child, and I don't think that's really delved into that that much. No, I agree with you hundred percent. It does. Because I had that weird thought too, where explicitly that scene where she's driving off in the police car with with the silent dude, who knows what his name is, the silent guy, um, who murders Steve Buscemi, R.I.P. And yeah, she, exactly what you said. She says like, I don't understand why you could be like this, how you could be so violent is basically what she's saying. And it felt, I don't want to say tacked on, but it just felt a little like, yeah, the, the rest of the movie didn't really feel like it was building to this in any way. And I appreciate the sentiment, but it did feel like a bit of a random inclusion in this particular movie. Yeah. It feels a bit like thematically incomplete to me. Sure. Yeah, I see that. Because, yeah, that was one of the elements of the ending, that that car scene that kind of left me thinking in that exact way you mentioned. The other one was actually the last scene, the very last lines, um, where she's sitting in bed with her husband, who's the uh, the killer from Zodiac, and uh, no, no, we don't she know. She says, "Where is he?" <laughs> oh, right. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, but yes, he is. But we're we're the we're doing. You know, she says we're doing good, and then you know she says, "Oh yeah, I've only got two more months of my pregnancy," and then cut to credits. Um, those lines were kind of delivered 
in the context of the scene to me with a bit of intention, with a bit of maybe I'm projecting, but with a bit of there felt like there was some meaning, there was some oomph behind those lines, and it went over my head. Do you, Fitzy, in depth analysis, is there something to that scene? Do you think? Well, because I, I don't see it. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's that's what they. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't feel like they put enough weight behind that kind of idea of like randomness in this film, but like being worried about the state of the world and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It just feels kind of underwhelming. The the very end, yeah. It does. Mm, I I guess I guess it could work in an interesting way with like I mentioned what's kind of played for comedy with how carefree these police officers are. So I guess that could int- kind of tie into the perception of the world that you're talking about maybe a little bit. But nonetheless, yeah, it feels a little hollow to me. So, okay, no. I was I asked just because I thought maybe it went over my head or, but no, you, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. How do you respond to that, Jaden? Did you like the ending? Um, yeah, I thought it was fine. I, 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 I didn't really think there was really meant to be any weight behind the final words um i, I, I right, yeah right. I, I do understand how like yeah why you guys say it like that and it does make sense but um you know i, I like uh I, th- I thought it was fitting to, to to wrap up on her i mean she was the main character after all you know and um i think i i like like i i see um yeah i don't really see an issue like i i understand why you guys see it a bit under underdeveloped in terms of like you know that type of thing but like I don't really think it needs any more development because I don't think it's that. I don't think it's too significant to the plot that it really requires it. But um, yeah, yeah, God, I'm kind of torn in the middle there because, yeah, no, you're right. It doesn't really have any significance to the story that's actually occurring at all. Um, but I guess it's just the fact that they were those scenes are there. It's real. It really does come down to the car scene, actually, the police um, arresting scene, right? That the fact that it's there at all, though, feels a little strange. You know, like if you in they they're cl- clearly trying to inject some thematic purpose there. Yeah, and the fact that you know what I mean, the fact that then it does feel incomplete, kind of does leave you with a weird feeling. Where if that scene wasn't that at all, then I would lean more towards what you're saying, Jaden. But mm. it's not a big con for me at all. Mm. They do it much better in No Country for Old Men. That that that, that idea, but. definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely, absolutely. Maybe the two films are linked. It's a shared universe. <laughs> yes, maybe they kind of do share some. Uh, yeah, Peter Stromae's character is kind of similar to Sugar. Yeah, they're brothers. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, and it's kind of. I feel like they kind of both. Oh, this is yeah. This is strange. I'm just thinking about this right now. They both kind of seem to present a similar uh, world or nature of what the world is, I guess, but from different perspectives Um, with, I feel like Frances McDormand's perspective from this movie, both police officers, coincidentally, the way that she goes about this kind of carefree nature. She doesn't understand the silent dude, but she seems pretty chill about it all compared to Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know. I feel like there's some weird comparisons you can make. Mm, For sure. What was our, uh, reaction to the opening title card that this is a true story um that these events did really occur and the names have been changed because 
I was taken aback by it. I was like, wait, what, really? Um, and then it became pretty obvious. I <laughs> not, didn't take too long for me to think, all right, I don't know about that. But um, Jan, you as someone who hadn't seen it before, did you have a reaction to just that popping up on the screen or is that a fact about the movie that you already knew? No, I didn't know about that. Um, I was reading up about it afterwards. Yeah. I think you're probably going to mention it. But um, I will. Don't worry. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was a bit taken aback by it because I, because I, you know, I, I was, I always thought that this was a Coen's Brothers' original story, which it kind of is. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. So like seeing that at the start kind of shocked me a bit. But um, yeah, it's a didn't really have too big of an effect on me. It's kind of the same way, you know. You see at the yeah, start no, of Texas Chainsaw, it's like this is based on a true story. Well, I mean, how based is it, you know? Really? Is that a, so? In that particular movie, is it a situation where it's very vaguely based on something that happened? Yeah, it's based on like this, like one killing that kind of has like no similarities at all, but apart from the fact that like two people died or something like that. But you know, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. How do you feel about it, Fitzy? Like, I don't know. Well, you'd already seen it, so I don't know. You didn't have a raw reaction to it, but it's a strange inclusion to me. Mm, happens in the series as well. Have you seen? Any of the show? Yeah, I saw um, uh, season one and three. There, it's a anthology, so they do a different story every season. Season yeah, four is coming yeah. out soon, isn't it? Okay, cool. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keen to get behind it because it's a good. Old I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, yeah. And the guy who did Legion, which you need to watch, Finny. Oh no, <laughs> I'm sure it's good. I'm sure it's good. But uh, before we before we uh to avoid Legion, um. <laughs> But yeah, so the trivia related to the true story elements, this stuff is all over the place, okay? At the end of the day, my end result with it all is that who really cares seems pretty random, but I'll read it because it's very interesting anyway. So the Coen brothers claimed that they based this script on an actual criminal event, which is obviously at the start of the film, like I mentioned, it comes up saying this is based on a true story essentially. Um, but they claim they wrote a fictional story around this true event. They say, we weren't interested in that kind of fidelity, fidelity, excuse me, said Joel Cohen. The basic events are the same in the real case, but the characterizations are fully imagined, which makes perfect sense. It didn't take long for me to realize, I don't know if this Francis McDormand character actually exists, but if an audience believes that something's based on a real event, it gives you permission to do things they might otherwise not accept, is what Joel Cohen said about him placing that at the start of the movie. Um, just a, a quick aside, I've got no idea what Joel Cohen's talking about here. I could not disagree with him more. If an audience believes that something based on a, is based on a real event, it gives you permission to do things they might otherwise not accept. That is, that is so strange to me. I'm the complete opposite. If something's based on a true story for me, it, to me, it completely limits what I can accept as, as an audience viewer. If something strange happens in a movie that's based on a true story, apparently, then it makes me immediately question if it's based on a true story, which is literally exactly what happened while I was watching this movie. So I completely disagree with him. But anyway. I do agree with him because, I mean, like, to boil it right down, it makes the outlandish aspects seem more real. For Feeney, it had the exact opposite effect by making the outlandish aspects took took you out of it and made you realize it's not real. But it's kind of meant to have the opposite effect where you're kind of meant to take these in and it kind of elevates the story for the viewer. In like, you know, the fact that these are so crazy, but it actually happened type of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Did, did it have that effect you just described for you, Chad? Um, not really, because like seeing that title card come up, you, you always have to understand that like it's bullshit. I mean, like there's so much artistic liberty taken when, when you're adapting a true story, especially like, you know, when it comes to crime and horror and whatever. 
I mean, if it's, if it's a full on biography, you know, fair enough. It's pretty accurate. But like when it comes to this genre, you need to understand how much shit's changed. So like it didn't really have that effect on me, but that's the effect it's intended to have. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. No, I totally see that. It's just that. Oh, I disagree. Yeah. For me, it doesn't. No true story has that effect for me whatsoever. I, that stance that Joel Cohen takes never works for me. And yeah, if I were a filmmaker, I would fundamentally disagree with that approach. I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah, no, that's the that's the that's the sense he took. So that's totally fine. But anyway, going off that, okay, the brothers have modified their explanation about if it's a true story or not multiple times. Um, basically, oh, I've got a lot here, but in 1996, um, the film like people were speculating that it was based on this very specific case in Minnesota. Um, except that they made changes to it's not in Minnesota. Um, in real life, and they they made slight changes. In this case, apparently, it really occurred in 1963, and there were similarities. So people were like, "Oh, it's based on this case." Um, but then, and then the Coens were like, "Oh, we've never heard of this person, so it's not based on that case, no." And so that sh- they shut that down. And then they say the story was completely made up, or as we like to say, the only true thing about it is that it's a story. Okay. So now they're saying it's made up. Fair enough. The film's special edition DVD contains yet another account, thank Christ, that the film was inspired by another murder, a 1986 murder of this woman from Connecticut at the hands of her husband, who disposed of her body through a wood chipper. Okay, so the only similarity there is that there's a wood chipper. That's not really anything specific. So, you know, from what I just kind of uh, terribly read out, I think you can kind of gather that they completely made it up and took very specific elements from some murders, like the wood chipper, like this uh, this other 1963 one. They probably just took some inspiration here and there or whatever, but they made the shit up, is the moral of the story. Nothing's true, to clarify. So, yeah. I would assume that they would try and stick by that for so long that they would try and uh, keep up the illusion that it's in some way based on a true story just to kind of maybe add to the film's effect for some people. Like I said, it doesn't work for me, but maybe they felt to uphold their intentions, I guess, originally back in the day when they made it, that they should kind of stand by the fact that that it is real to some extent up until 2015 when they just randomly decided, oh, yeah, let's not keep up the act anymore. At the end of the credits, it has like a little label saying it's a work of fiction anyway. So, I mean, if anyone was really that attentive and wanted to stay all the way to the end, it it tells you straight up, this is bullshit. (laughs) I did not know that. I love you could have just told me that and then I didn't have to read any of that. But no, any, regardless, I, I thought that was all pretty interesting. It was kind of bizarre delving into why they did that uh, thing, I guess, that was meant to clearly influence the uh, the tone of the movie in some way. But, uh, but yeah, case solved. They made that shit up. I mean, like, it, uh, I think it goes back to, like, a similar, it's, it's meant to be a similar effect as to what the kid has in the film, like, yeah, as a certain, you know, gravity to the situation, yeah, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some good gags in the movie that I appreciate. I already mentioned the uh, the total silence Steve Buscemi dialogue exchange. That was funny. I enjoyed that. Um, there are some other ones. The fact that it's a running gag throughout the movie that everyone uh, that the police interview about trying to find these suspects, everyone that have seen that has seen Steve Buscemi's character always describes him as funny looking, but can't go into any more detail. They just say, "Oh, he's just funny looking in a general kind of way." I thought that was that was so great because I mean let's be real Steve Buscemi is pretty funny looking in a general kind of way <laughs> so I enjoyed that a lot that was good 
he's fleeing from the interview was a good line. I like that a lot. When she just can't believe that he's, he just thought, William H. Macy just walks out of the room and like drives away and she just can't comprehend it. That was great. And the, uh, oh, another one, the DLR plates. That was good when the police officers who are really dumb, but also seem to be pretty good at their job somehow at the same time. And uh, the fact that he's like, oh, I can't find any plates registered under DLR in the state. Mm. That was good. When it's a dealer plate, get it, get it. So I enjoyed that. Did you guys have any other moments like that? There are a few gags I liked. Um, I like when they say, uh, you darn tootin'. That's good. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just think, I guess there's no specific moments, but just the accents and, you know, the, the how perfectly cast they are makes it pretty funny. Just Steve Pasumi's, you know, um, acting in every scene, I guess. His situation yeah. in the comedy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did not realize that people from Minnesota had these accents. So that just that fact alone to me and just, you know, getting to hear them for an hour and 38 minutes or whatever it was, that was a joy. I enjoyed that a lot. Do you know um, Ewan McGregor's in uh, season three of, of Fargo? The I did. TV? Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, there's two of them. He plays uh, twins. Spoilers. I mean, it's not a spoiler. But. Do they have a Minnesotian accent in that show? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. I love it. Mm. That has made it 10 times more appealing to me. Absolutely. And um, Martin Freeman, he's in the first one. Oh, he's great. Oh, cool. God. Is there anyone else? You're listing off some names here. Um, I, I think her name's Mary. Is it Mary Elizabeth Winston? Winston? The one that plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in Sky High and. Um, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool, cool. Sky high. Wow. Yeah. And Bang that off. guy, um... Yeah. That, what's that? Billy Bob. This guy in Harry Potter. He's, um... Yeah, yeah, he's in, he's in the first one. And, yeah. Oh, what's that professor in Harry Potter? He's like, um... Like Lupin, I think. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. I don't know his name, but yeah, Lupin, yeah. Like, yeah, like the show is cast really well as well. It's It's pretty incredible how, you know, perfectly these... Characters fit their roles. I'm really tempted to try the show out there. Oh, and um, you know, at, at the end of this movie, the you know the money is um still, you know, yes, buried. So they uh, they uh, continue that in uh, the show. That's cool. That's really cool. Mm. I've been holding off on that because I, I wanted to watch the film first before I started that. Like I know you, you probably don't need to because it is, you know, it is an individual property. But um, you know, I, I, I you know I think having the context of this film. A bit. Like, did you watch the film and then watch the series, Fitzy? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And had you not seen the film before you watched the TV series, how do you think you would have felt about it? Would it have been pretty much the same? Or? It's honestly not that much context, really. Right. I think it's mainly just the um, suitcase. Yeah, well, it doesn't sound like it'd be that necessary, but, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, Jane. I feel like just it would give you a bit of context for what – the the showrunners and the people making the show are kind of basing their story off of you know and that might give you a bit of insight kind of interesting Hmm. and it's weird how like in season one and three there's like this one character who kind of there's this one yeah there's this one character in each season who's kind of like this like the embodiment of chaos kind of character that is in this movie and in like no country you know like the quiet guy here and the yeah so it's kind of like the same story 
is is it better? Is he better than the quiet guy? Oh, on the show. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. They're, they're much more like um, much more of characters in the show for sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I've got some uh, one bit of trivia left, I guess. Uh, the movie is called Fargo because the Coens thought it was a better title than Brainhead. Is is it Brainhead? They they were right. I mean, like I, I know it's pre- like I know it's spelled like that, but it, it, don't they pronounce like Brainhead or something like that? Oh, dude, I, dude, I, I don't know, like how many, like what, what, how the correct way to say it in our version of English would be compared to theirs. But yeah, you're probably right <laughs> because the town of Fargo is literally just where they met at the start. That's that's got no other significance at all, to my knowledge. So, Finny, no technical complaints, no, no, no unsynced audio, no, no weird cuts for you. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's my obliged role on the show now, isn't it? Yeah, the cinematography was obviously yeah, oh, like the whole white kind of landscape. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. They had trouble filming because it was actually very. It was like the hottest days of the year where they were, and it was like they had to wait for snow and stuff. Yeah, all the yeah, snow. They used a lot of yeah. fake snow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the way that the, the, that they shoot the snow because I mean, like in the opening, uh, I'm, like in the opening scene, like where it's just the car and the headlights kind of like going through, like you know that like that snowstorm. It's it's this really like like oppressive bleakness to it, you know, and like and then like the way that later on, you know, it's kind of you know like when the, when they shoot like just you know like the small town type of thing, it's it's, it's it doesn't have that same way. I love the way that like snow kind of works when you're shooting it, like whether it be still or, you know, in motion, like the way you can play around with it and the way you can really manipulate, manipulate it with like, you know, simple objects, like can give it like you know, a really different meaning. And I think Deacons does it well in this film. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I think generally this movie, its biggest strength is how it is able to juggle in its script, uh, particularly, um, how well it's able to juggle silliness with tenseness and with seriousness. Um, I think that's a great strength of it because I feel like if you're these actors on set, you know, and you're delivering the lines, you're doing this accent, I, I feel like you'd have in the back of your mind, I don't know if this is working. This is kind of strange. Is this going to really fit together in the final product? Um and I think it's a testament to the movie that it does really work in the final product because I can imagine, you know, without the greater context of the entire vision, it would seem weird just doing this one scene, you know, in isolation, I guess. But then, sorry, but to get back to what you're saying, Jenny, absolutely, I think the visuals kind of really contribute to that serious side of it, the tense side of it, because um, I really like that opening shot too. And even uh, like... That side so, of the movie... Keep going, Fanny, I'm sorry. But, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah. It, that counterbalances... Uh, some of the silly comedy stuff that I like a lot. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think um, similarly, like the in in terms of, like the, the the same intenseness that's captured in the opening shot is like when Wade confronts Buscemi's character on the rooftop, and like the way that you know a light snowfall can easily be playful. It's really somber in that moment, as as you know, as as like as as that like carries out. You know, I think the way that, yeah, I just think the way it's constructed is really well. Yeah, really good. Fargo out of ten. I'll give the movie an eight. I'll give the movie an eight. I was tossing between a seven and an eight, but um, I don't know. Yeah, having this discussion, I was left a bit hollow by the ending a little bit. Um, 
all that thematic conversation we had definitely strikes a chord with me. But nonetheless, no, I think this movie is great. I think it's really unique. I think it's a great script, um, really paced well. The only pacing issues I had, Jaden completely counted in a really satisfying way, so that's perfect. Um, I definitely highly recommend everyone watch it. I think it's great. Um, yeah, great watch. How about you, Liam? I'll give it a seven, very close to an eight. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great... I think anyone can really enjoy it, so... Yeah. Anyone should, uh, if you're listening, you should definitely seek it out. But, um, um, yeah, it's, it's close to an eight, but it just doesn't, it kind of, as I said, I never want to rewatch it and I, I don't completely know why, but I just, yeah, it, uh, doesn't have too much of an effect on me apart from being like, uh, pretty funny and entertaining. So, yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah, they're the two scores I'm tossing up between as well. Because um, it goes, like, I think I've only really sung praise for it throughout this, but it goes back to that thing I mentioned at the start about for some reason I just could not connect with it entirely. But I think that, I think everything else in the film kind of pulls me over to the fact that it's an eight, you know, rather than a seven. Yeah. I, I uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, I'll stick with an eight. Yeah. It's, it's an eight. No need to split hairs, just go with your gut. I like it. Mm. All right. Well, uh, Fargo, I think we recommend it. I'm just about to take my hoodie off because it's bloody warm in here now. Mm, take it all off. Amazing content. Don't imagine too much of me stripping my hoodie off there, okay, guys? Amazing. All right. News chat. The Tenet saga continues. I'm so sick of this shit, man. <sighs> this is the last one we have to read. I mean, I don't have to read it ever again, but I guess I am. This is a pretty important one, though. I'm so over it. But Tenet will be released in 70 international territories. First, including Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, Russia, and the United Kingdom uh, on August 26th, before making its way to select North American theatres on September 3rd. Um these plans have been interrupted so many times. This could literally go any number of ways. Who knows? So I'm, we've tried speculating in the past. Every time it's fallen apart, Jane's been more right than me. That's for sure. So uh, the only other real comment I have about this is the fact that I appreciate that a new precedent has been created now, that they're willing at least uh, evidently to release in territories other than the US first. That was something that we were not we, we discussed it. We didn't think that they would be willing to do something like that, but now they are. So just that fact alone, I think, is a good sign. But as for the specifics, I've got no hopes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just – I'll believe it when I'm sitting in the theatre watching the trailers before it. Uh, I just think, like, the, the reason, like, they've, they've decided to just release it like this now is that they couldn't afford, uh, you know, an, another release of – of you know trailers and images and posters with the new date on them because I think like the every time they push it back you know it's another who knows how many millions of dollars so they must have just waited up and said you know if we at least get this money in first before we get that it, it'll outweigh you know publishing a whole new set of posters with new dates and shit like that so yeah 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 I get you. 
So, you know, yeah, mid-rangers on. Have you got anything to add, Fitzy? No, not really. Fair enough, fair enough. Oh, well, I'm excited to watch it. That's all there is to it. So, yeah. Yeah. ASAP. Uh, What else we got? We got a new Pixar movie was announced uh, yesterday, I think. I don't know. Very recently. Um, Because we know they had, of course, Onward earlier this year that we watched. We had, uh, we've got Soul coming up which is another original film of theirs with Jamie Foxx. This year, who knows if that actually happens anymore, but that was the idea. Um, and then another original film, they're, they're doing a bit of a trifecta here, which is interesting. They normally kind of historically alternate between sequels and original films, but we're getting a brigade of original films from them. And this one's called Luca. Um, and it'll be kind of uh, following this teenage kid in Italy for a summer is the description we kind of got. Uh, about it it's set to release in summer of 2021 you know release dates pending i guess but uh yeah i mean that's kind of all we know about it uh jane you mentioned that you liked the uh the little bit of animation that we saw from it the little still yeah it looks pretty sick kind of looks uh um i'm not sure if it was just like a low-res image i saw but it could it, it kind of it doesn't really seem like that it seems like a bit of a different animation style. Have you seen the image? It it, it looks different to their traditional yeah. animation, doesn't it? Yeah. And it, it, it kind of looks a bit Ghibli-esque, I guess. And it kind of looks like a cross between, you know, the Pixar and that. And I'm, I'm keen to see that. Yeah, no, that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking that wasn't concept art, was it? Like, I, I, I would assume the movie looks like that, but I don't know. Um, If it does, well, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I yeah, really hope it looks like that. that. It seems very unique for them. Very uh, intense uh, when Marnie was there type vibes coming from it. Final story, I guess. Amy Adams is in a movie. It's called Night Bitch, which is an interesting title, and it's about the fact that she was it. What? Wait, what did you say, Jen? She wants to be a dog, or she thinks she's a dog. She thinks she turns into a. She 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 thinks she's turning into a dog. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's amazing. I love it. That sounds like a Netflix original film, doesn't it, really? I don't see that <laughs> coming out in theatres, but hey, I'd be down to watch it on Netflix. Yeah, I, I, I think it's – um, I mean, when you take just like that synopsis from it, obviously it doesn't sound that great, but it's meant to kind of be, you know, a, a dark comedy type of thing. So I like, I, I mean, if Amy Adams is signing on to it, I, I'm expecting it to be pretty decent. Um, Yeah, I'm keen to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I don't know. This seems kind of different for Amy Adams, I guess. She kind of does a shitload of serious stuff, if if I'm not mistaken. So, branching out into uh, all kinds of new genres. She used to do some light light stuff, you know, Julia and Julia and Enchanted and stuff like that. She was in that Muppets movie, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, fair. Didn't think of that. That's all we got for news. Exciting week. <laughs> Definitely. What have we been watching? I went first last week. So, uh, uh who can go? Fitzy, you can go. So there's the movie This Is England, which is on Stan, and then there's the three uh, TV miniseries, uh, 86, 88, and, and 90. And the movie um, the movie follows Sean, uh, like 12-year-old kid in Thatcher's England of 1983. He doesn't have a dad, and it's kind of like Thatcher's England was a very like troubled time because there was a lot of, like, unemployment and then there, there was um like a recent war that happened and stuff so there was a lot of like um 
like just like civil unrest, I guess, and like protests and stuff. And um, he basically befriends these older, friendly kind of guys that are kind of a big friendship group, a big kind of gang. And um, they're all right, but later on he runs into this guy, Combo, played by Stephen Graham, and he's um has very strong political views and he's kind of like racist and and he's a very troubled figure and um yeah the movie's just kind of a coming of age you know movie in that way set in this interesting time period but like what really makes uh the movie great for me at least is um just how like realistic the conversations feel and the and the dialogue um i'm pretty sure like a lot of it was at least semi-improvised, um, if not a majority of it. And um, the the movie is uh, real great. It could be a bit cliche, kind of coming of age, you know. Um, you know, don't follow the dangerous path, path kind of thing in some right. regards. But what really like elevates the movie again later on is the the TV series, which um. There are, there's an event that happens in the movie or kind of events which uh, the, the series comes back to that later on and like that's just what the series does. It, it Each new installment adds more like consequence and meaning to their stories overall and like uh, yeah, the characters, it follows the same characters and same actors over like, uh, you know, basically in in real time like 11 years basically because in terms of like right. actual actors but like six seven years in the story um and like yeah the characters are just so they just so feel gen they feel just so genuine and and um and real same as same as the conversation uh, and dialogue as i mentioned and um the i guess the series uh, delves into some very heavy um, topics, and I think um, it's just a really well constructed, um, yeah, drama. And just uh, as a entire story, it it really it tells a a uh, a story about like forgiveness and morality in such a kind of fascinating way, in terms of one character's uh, like entire arc, and um, yeah. It was just, it's just, it was just so great, like seeing the same characters, you know, grow and develop and um, adjust to these new kind of environments. Because you see the time changing as well. But um, now after watching This Is England '90, I just absolutely like, kind of like, you know, fell in love with the series. Also, like attached to the characters and everything. So yeah, it's a really big, um, yeah, it was really uh, um, just a great experience overall i guess and i uh i recommend um i recommend all of that it's uh it's on stand so yeah that's why you like it because it's like boyhood all right i, I thought you'd say <laughs> something like that like harry potter <laughs> um but yeah it's um i don't know yeah i don't know what else to say about it it's just uh, cool, all the yeah. actors, I guess. Um, Stephen Graham, Vicky, what's her name? She was in Line of Duty, Jaden. Maybe you can. Vicky McClure, is it? Um, Something yeah. like that. 
Um, the, the some of the more well-known ones. Uh, Stephen was in uh, the Irishman uh, snatch, um, snatch and another uh, Scorsese Gangs of New York, and the uh, the main actor Thomas Turgus, Andrew Shim, um, and then Joe Gilligan. I think he plays. Maybe that's his name in the series. Can't remember, but um, yeah, brilliant acting as well, and and um, they just the, well, yeah, as I said, characters feel so real and etc. And brilliant series. Um, yeah, cool. And um, what else I see? The Beach Bomb, um, stony comedy, kind of art house stony comedy. Um, because it's by. Did you say stoner comedy? Yeah, yeah. Is that a genre? Yeah, it's like um, and like kind of like Seth Rogen films and you know that shit. Mm. That's so funny. Okay, yeah, like, did not know that's a thing. Express and all that, but um, it's right. kind of it's very weird because it's directed by Harmony Kareen, which he does very like uh, art house kind of stuff like Gummer and like. Uh, Spring Breakers, and he wrote uh, Kids, but um, his films are very interesting in that they're like, uh, they're very, like, based on just the senses, you know, they're not going for substance really, they just kind of, they, they go for a very, like, cinematic kind of experience and don't worry as much about, yeah, they don't have much of a plot, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, right. And they're very, like, you know, visually interesting, usually. But um, Interesting. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, what else? I'll just, uh, yeah, I'll do one more. Um, Primer, which um, was made, it's a time travel kind of movie. And it's, it was made for $7,000, the budget. And, um... It's amazing how, just how um, yeah, good this film is for seven thousand dollars, and how like um, it's very like confusing kind of. There's lots of like, you know, it's a time travel movie, but it doesn't hold your hand, so it kind of like leaves you completely, it leaves you pretty confused by the by the like last, especially the last like twenty minutes. But um, because there's a lot of like, you know, which version of this character is here and which one, you know, which one is he talking to and all this. Um, but the overall experience is very kind of like paranoid because of that. Very par- paranoid, I guess. Um, right. But yeah, for seven thousand dollars, it's like amazing, especially because you can't really feel the uh the budget in the, like for most scenes, like um. It doesn't like expose the budget. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's always the most important thing when you've got a low budget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially because like you know they just have the two characters and one one of the actors is the director who also like produced and edited it and did everything basically. Yeah. So yeah, <sighs> I'm done. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Uh, you want to go, Jaden? Um. I want to quickly ask, talking about, you know, small budgets and not exposing the budget, do you reckon that following does? Because, I mean, that was made on £3,000. 
So do you reckon that you can see, do you reckon that scene is kind of cheap or do you reckon mm. that hides it well? No, yeah, yeah, no, I think the movie, that's a difficult question, actually. I think the movie does a pretty good job from recollection. I don't know if I know it that well, but I think the movie, yeah, I think the movie did a pretty good job of that. Um, I know, like, I, I believe Nolan has said a few times, like in quotes and shit, he's kind of talked about um, his approach on that film and how uh, explicitly the use of the hammer. Um, and how, you know, I guess in any other film you'd use a gun in that instance in that movie. But uh, the importance of when you've got a low budget using what makes sense, using props and story moments that make sense within the story, but then also don't expose the budget. And I think, you know, if you try to use a gun in that moment, obviously it would look terrible. So that would expose the budget. So, yeah, examples like that, he's obviously very conscious of the budget. Um, yeah, from memory, I don't really explicitly remember any... Uh, uh, shortcomings with that no hmm. coolio um right so what did i watch this week oh do you not feel the same way or oh uh, no i was just curious to hear our opinion I, I wasn't really i wasn't i wasn't gonna um no I do, I, do, I do i think from memory i think the score i, I don't know why but like, like the score feels cheap you know because it, it kind of feels like the same thing gets repeated over and over as if they they, they, they couldn't you know produce more of it or they, they, they didn't have the right. abilities to, to produce more of it i think like that's like one of the most glaring things to me that kind of it shows it's low budget but like i think the rest of it's all pretty chill you know i think i think it's all pretty good you know yeah yeah i agree right so this week i watched uh intruders uh i don't know shitty 2011 uh horror i mean i say shitty but i gave it a six stars um six stars six out of ten um yeah yeah it was pretty good it had a yeah, you know, Clive Owen and uh, Chris Van Houten, Houten. I don't know. You know, you know Melisandre from uh, Game of Thrones, and uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, it's pretty engaging, oh, yeah. I guess. I mean, I, I, was, I was never bored by it, and um, I think reviews for it were really low, so I, I kind of went in expecting like some really shitty stuff, but like it, it was okay. And uh, you know, the the twist was pretty satisfying, and it, it made sense, and it, it was never like you know. It wasn't like they plucked it out of nowhere. Like there was, there was, it was, it was, it was clued to throughout, and like it got a bit obvious at some points. But you know, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I watched Pop Star Never Stop, N- Never Stop, Never Stopping, which is a uh, uh, Andy Samberg. Uh, it's a Lonely Island production. Um, it's so funny. It is just like one of the like it's it's it's, it's really really great, and like the comedy is like so. I mean, it, it, it's so obviously, like, you know, Andy Samberg and, like, that production, like, you know, like, when you, like, watch their other films, like, their short stuff, you know, you kind of get what, 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 what it is. And, I mean, the, the film's only 84 minutes. It's kind of like what I was talking about a few weeks ago with Seven Days in Hell, where, like, they get in there, they tell their jokes, tell their story, and then they just get out, and it breezes by, and it's just brilliant. Um, I watched The Invisible Man uh, as well, and I had no intention of watching this film. At all, I just thought it was going to be another shitty remake of a you know classic horror, uh, th- uh, a classic horror film. But then you know, like I, you know, you mentioned it recently, and like, like I've only ever really seen positive stuff for it. Um, and I was really like pleasantly surprised by it. Um, like I thought it was like quite good, yeah. and, and and like I hadn't seen much about it. I thought, um, I think I'd probably seen like ten seconds of like you know a TV spot and stuff, and I thought. You know, it, like it, I thought, I felt like it was going to be pretty standard. It's like what happens and you know how shit unfolds. But you know, there's a there's 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 a good bit of a you know, uh, you know, it fucks you around a bit. You know, flicks you this way and that way. And uh, 
Yeah. Do you do you like the ending, Finny? Uh yeah, I do. I do. I like. Mm, it it doesn't. It's not an ending that resonates with me at all. You know, as a nineteen year old, mm. uh, you know, dude. You know, so so it doesn't resonate with me in that way. But I it it totally is going for something very specific, and I appreciated doing that. You know, and I think it would be more effective for other people. Right. Yeah, because because I didn't love it because I kind of felt without really I, I don't really want to talk about what happens or like what happens at the film because it kind of spoils it. But like I kind of feel like her, like the actions at the end kind of undo some of the stuff done at the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Or like just throughout the film because I I feel like her doing what she did kind of I don't know. We, we can chat another time about it. And uh, right. yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested though. Um. And then I watched Doctor Who Series 12, which I caught up on. Um, I thought it was fine until the last episode. The last episode's the final episode of that season retcons 57 years of, you know, television history. And Doctor right. Who isn't exactly it's, – it's no stranger to retconning shit. I mean, like, they've done it, like, for the past, you know, what, 15 years now in, in, in New Who where, like, you know, we're told this planet doesn't exist, these people came back, this is that, and, you know, whatever – and like that's all calm because like it's the way they they the way they undertake it it's it's all valid and it's all you know they 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 do so in a, in a, in a satisfying way especially with the fifty year anniversary where everything is like like the big thing that had been building over you know this, this course of the new Doctor Who series you know the way that they explain it all in the anniversary is really great so you know Reconny and Doctor Who is kind of goes you know they kind of go hand in hand. But what they did this season, they built an interesting story on this idea of like the timeless child and like, you know, the origin of the time laws or whatever. But then like the way they resolve it at the end, it kind of diminishes one of the key points of Doctor Who in the fact that, you know, like the Doctor isn't really like, obviously they're special because they're an alien, but they're just, you know, they're, they're no more special than that. I mean, and in a TV show full of aliens, you know, it's not really that unique. Um, but then, like, you know, they kind of change that and, like, it's, it's a really annoying thing and, like, the way the season's written isn't satisfying at all and, like, every episode that kind of begins promising, it ends up just more of the same shit of, like, thinly veiled criticisms of the current, you know, socio-political environment just getting shoved in your throat. I mean, like, there's a, there's, a, there's an episode where, like, it sets up this really interesting mystery about, like, you know, these unique events occurring all over the world and it just turns out that the people are being poisoned by plastic. And it's like, oh, plastic bird, fuck, fuck off. Like, we know that. And, like, it's just shit like oh, that. Right. And, like, you know, it, it, it kind of diminishes. The, the, it, 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 I mean, look, like Doctor Who's never been known for, you know, having superior writing or anything. But, like, this season just felt like it was uh, a bit weaker. And the thing is, like, the primary writer, Chris Chibnall, he's, wrote, he's written for Doctor Who in the past. And, like, he's written, like, really solid episodes. So I'm not really sure why now when he's taken over it's kind of gone down. But you know, I think as as, as a whole, like like production wise, the series has gone up, and in, in, especially with Jodie Whittaker coming in, like um, cinematography and like music wise, I think like the, the 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 score for this season was really great. Um, and like costume and like you can tell there's there's now at least a bit of a budget. So like you know that version has all gone up in recent years, but because the writing has tanked a bit you know it, it, it kind of uh it, it made this final season this previous season um yeah really not worth it um yeah mm-hmm. uh 
yeah, that's me done. Okay. I can probably go on okay. more, but uh, I don't really want to exhaust anyone else with my Doctor Who rant. <laughs> so good. I finished Ozark. The bloody took me the longest time to finish <laughs> a season of TV ever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Ozark Season 3 wrapped up. Really liked it. Ozark's just a great show in general. Um, direction's so good. Jason Bateman is so good. You know, uh, Laura Liney, I think, Laura Linney, whatever her name is, she's awesome too. Um, just a great cast, great show, really enjoy it. it. I think there are some small little quirks with it that really hold it back from being a top-tier show for me. Um, mainly, uh, the show has always, in my opinion, throughout all three seasons, not handled its kid characters very well. Like, they're... <sighs> There are a handful of teenage characters and they're always just a bit dumber than they should be Um, and and they make choices that seem very trying to drive the plot forward and it's kind of frustrating. Uh, You know, there's multiple, like, moments where you audibly go and, you know, family watch it with audibly go, like, uh, really? Would you do that? Like, you know. But also, kid's dumb, so, you know, that's a solid counter-argument too. Who knows? But, uh couple little things like that that really hold it back from being a top tier show but i think it's a great show highly recommend it um really enjoyed it and i watched birdman last night i was going to watch snatch but i was so disappointed it had been on stand for the longest time dude and now it's not on stand anymore and i was really bummed about it so i'm like oh shit well all right snatch is out i'm watching birdman instead i loved it thought it was awesome um all the performances you know as someone who it feels weird to still be talking about the whole, you know, one take thing as a, as a unique element to a film, but I'd only ever seen it in 1917. And this is such a, obviously it's the same technique. It's the same thing they're doing literally, but um, because it's such a different story and such a different setting and and everything, such a different tone, it really has a, a different effect in a weird way than that movie does. It's funny how the same technique can have differing effects like that, but uh, no, I loved it. Loved it. And it, um, the characters are awesome. The character growth is awesome just on a surface level. But the movie also had a really interesting effect on me where I kind of took it as a bit of a, in a broader sense, I really, it really resonated me with me as a bit of an analog for life in a really powerful way, in a way that I wished that the tree of life did for me. You know, I know you love the tree of life. It's, you know, I, I thought it was a decent enough movie, but I think the effect that I wish that movie had for me, this movie had for me. Um, And it's funny how, because the tree of life is so broad and abstract and how specific Birdman is in its story, how that actually kind of achieved a broader sense um, thematically. So I thought that was interesting. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, what do you you mean exactly by analogy for life or whatever? Well, I think the tree of life, what I kind of wanted, uh, it's such an abstract movie that everyone can kind of take whatever they want from it, but I kind of felt a, a little bit like a sense of, that this is just a, a interesting kind of trying to provide an objective, larger perspective of the human experience, I guess, um, of, of life itself for what it's like, you know, and it does that with its nonlinear editing and its uh, crazy inclusion of random space shots and shit. And it kind of worked for me a little bit, but um, Birdman does it in a, obviously a much tighter way, just focusing on this New York stage show everything that Michael Keaton's character goes through and his life experiences up until that point and his relationships and the way it all builds to the climax um, and so many poignant moments throughout and dialogue pieces, it kind of interestingly had that sort of effect for me, I guess. 
is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but like but what, yeah. what, I'm just trying to understand like what effect do you mean exactly? Like, like it kind of was an analogy for the whole human experience or something like that. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I kind of I took that from the movie. There's a lot. Of, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about personal growth, and um, yeah, and, and the human experience. I feel I feel weird saying the human experience. It sounds a bit broad, but uh, I guess that um, that I took from the movie. That interestingly, and and just the progression of life. I guess um, sounding really uh, philosophical, but that's fine. That really resonated with me as a young person, and I can only imagine. You know, it would. I would assume it would resonate with people at the older they are. Um, so that's kind of what I took from it. I guess is what you described. But yeah, loved it. But that's all I got. So now it is time to get into our question of the show. Last week we asked you a very simple question, a great question. What's your favourite TV show of all time? And uh, we got some long answers, but that's great. Henry wrote in and said. Oh, sorry, I need to take a deep breath, Jesus. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson is probably my favourite TV series of all time, which is surprising to me because I only saw it this year, but it was genuinely one of the funniest I've watched. One of, fun, oh, Jesus, one of the funniest things I've watched, so it cemented its position as my favourite series surprisingly easily, which is interesting. It's on Netflix. Watch it immediately, please. Listen to Henry's beck and call on that one. However, this is excluding, excluding, it's always this time of the show where I fall apart, isn't it? Anime. So my actual favourite series of all time is Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, I think I think I got it. I think I got it. Which I could write an entire thesis on just how fantastic it truly is. Also on Netflix, watch it immediately, please. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson is probably my... Oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I copy and pasted Henry's message twice, so I was about to read it again. <laughs> it actually wasn't as long as I thought it was. Literally twice in a row. Wow, I'm so dumb. That's all of Henry's message. Thank you, Henry, for writing in. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, Luke wrote in and said, Such a difficult question. I've enjoyed so many TV series over the years. I've probably watched more TV series than I have movies. Interesting. I'll give shout-outs to my satisfy... To satisfy my own mind. Here we go. Merlin, Suits, Game of Thrones, The Flash. But my favourite... Drumroll, please, Fitzy. You did it, Luke. It worked. It worked. Arrow. Long-time fan through all eight seasons. I'm self-aware enough to acknowledge the weaker seasons, but all in all, a great show and loved looking forward to episodes Wednesday nights. Certainly a motivation going through school. Cool. Theme songs are banger. Not as good as Game of Thrones. I mean, what is though? And characters are great. Fight scenes were well choreographed very well. Jesus Christ, dude. Were choreographed very well and I didn't. Mind, <laughs> this is falling apart. Fight scenes were choreographed very well, and I didn't mind the ship of Oliver and Felicity. I actually enjoyed it. I nailed it. There you go. Um, so thank you for your submissions, guys. I've never heard of that show that Henry mentioned. I assume it's new this year if you just watched it this year. So that's cool. That's cool. And, uh, of course, we refuse to acknowledge any anime on this show, so I will not acknowledge that other one. But uh, Arrow. Wow. <laughs> I'm only joking. I can't, can't believe he made me do a drum roll for a CW show. That's just that's just rude. Is it? I don't know what to say about that. I guess so, yeah. Well, there you go. He chose Arrow. Um, How offended are you by that, Fitzy? Very? 
Um, I'm um, not. Nah, I have no Zenar, but um, no, neither have I. Got no idea. Looks fine, I guess. Um, I just like making fun of the budget. That's really all I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's your favorite TV series of all time, Liam? I want to say this is England, but I just saw it like this week, so it's kind of mm, strange. Yeah, probably um, not. Yeah. So I'll just say um, The Sopranos because it's a pretty good TV show. Um, <laughs> it's got a lot of, um, you know, when they pick up the gun and then the guy's running away from the gun and shoots him. And then um, he shoots him back, and I really like that scene. Um, but yeah, what about you? <laughs> One scene in seven seasons. Oh, no. Amazing. No, Amazing. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Great no, chat, though. No, it's just, um, just, um, oh, I don't know. It's amazing. It's, um, it is amazing. Yes, it is. Very, it's truly amazing. Every. There's no weak episode or season really. Every episode no. is uh, well written and constant. They constantly find new stuff to tackle. Um, in terms of everything, just I don't know. Couldn't and good it. Steve Buscemi connection. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't praise it enough, I guess. What about you? What about you, Jaden? Sopranos up there for you, of course. Nah, I've only seen one season of Sopranos, and it wasn't that great. Oh. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's something I, I, I should have thought about it more because I'm struggling with it now. If Spooky got to give some shouts, I'm going to give some shouts as well. Um, Go for it. I think Haunting of Hill House is really brilliant. Uh, Line of Duty, uh, which was mentioned briefly before in this episode, is absolutely fantastic. Like the best police procedural show I've ever seen. Um, it's uh, Finny, uh, actually we, we already talked about it. I guess uh, you know if you've seen Bodyguard, you'll love Light of Duty. So uh, yeah, get it, get around that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the end of the fucking world is brilliant. Like I think season one was pretty good, and and I really enjoyed it. And like it's really it's really funny, and it's just a really like genuinely good show. And like it's way more emotional than I thought it would be. But then season two, it introduces like this dramatic element that was kind of missing from the first season. And while season two is not as mm. funny, it's way more dramatic. And it's way better in my opinion. And like that, like season two of, the end of, the, of, the, of that show is like, like, like the best I've seen. But for my favorite show, I'm going to have to go with another show that was previously mentioned in this episode, which is uh, Legion. And uh, yes, I'm not sure if it actually is my favorite show, but like it's my, it's, when I think about shows, like, like in terms of, like, shit that's memorable and that's good and interesting and that I actually, like, really enjoy, I think, like, that's what comes to mind first. Um, I mm. think that what Noah Hawley did with adapting, you know, a, a superhero story and then not making it, you know, your generic, your, your, your generic, you know, villain of the week type thing and actually giving it, you know, well-written, good drama, you know, nice characters but then still being able to tie it all back into you know its history of in the comic books and i think that in terms of creativity it's 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 the it's the most creative show i've seen it's just in terms of like the way that because it is a superhero show as well and like you know, its origins of that and like the fact that no like it 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 allows for ideas to 
it allows for them to do shit that you wouldn't usually be able to do. It's like, you know, there's, you know, you have singing mountain, you have singing mice and, you know, a clockwork orange parody and shit like that, but it all just works so brilliantly, you know, tied up within this thing. And, um, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think Jeff Russo does, does the score as well. And the score is absolutely superb. And, um, yeah, I think everything about that show is just flawless, really. Huh. Awesome, awesome. It's pretty great. Is it better, of course, than X Men: The Last Stand? Uh, why would you say that? <laughs> the Last Stand is. I mean, well, they're both X Men things. Well, you sorry, that's why I'm asking. Is better than Legion, but we all know that X Men Origins Wolverine is better than that as well. So, I mean, yeah, right. Yeah, that's the right. ranking: Origins, Last Stand, dot dot Legion. dot dot dot. Yeah, yeah. Dark Legion, yeah. That's yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, my favorite TV show, I mean, oh, so? I love TV shows. I love TV. I mean, TV series, it is kind of better than movies, aren't they? Let's just change the podcast. But, uh, but uh, I mean, you know, Black Sails is a recent one of mine. Love that show. Game of Thrones, Sopranos, all top-tier shit. But uh, Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad, obviously, you know, perfect show. Wouldn't change a thing about it. Amazing. Best performances ever. Please. Best drama ever. Best direction ever. What did you say, Jaden? They said Better Call Saul's better. I don't believe I ever said that. No, I, I swear you I? said that once. No, it's not. It's not. No. I think I said I, I – I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think I said on an earlier episode of this show that one of the episodes rivaled one of the some of the best of Breaking Bad, I think. Oh. I think you I might know. have said the, like, the writing is better on Better Call Saul. But you said Breaking Bad is better overall or something. I don't know. I might have said something like that. I don't know what I say, but I'm a rambling moron. But uh, Better Call Saul is also amazing. But, uh, you know, it's not finished, so I don't want to speak too much to it. So uh, Breaking Bad, perfect show. If you're a human being that lives on planet Earth, what are you doing? Watch it. It's as simple as that. It's universal. All right. That's all we got for Cinema Effect this week. Thank you for listening to our uh, ramblings and our recommendations of our favourite shows. Every show that we just recommended, make sure you watch them all within the next two weeks and get back to us on which one was your favourite. Totally oh, reasonable request. Should we, um, when are we going to um, tell them about the uh, the TV show that we might do? Or what that we are doing? We'll do it right now. We're right now. Thank you for reminding me. Cool. We, we have super secrets, crazy secrets that we're keeping from our huge viewership. Hmm. So we'll let you know now that we're planning on uh, watching Twin Peaks Season 1 uh, in the middle of September. So, you know, so that's still, from the time we're recording this, that's still six weeks away. So we're just giving you the warning. If you were at all interested in watching Twin Peaks Season 1, if you were perhaps thinking for quite some time you wanted to get into that show, now's the time. This is the motivation you need. So press on. If you're interested, you can do that. That's what we're planning on doing in six weeks' time. But Fitzy... That's so far away. What are we doing next week? Next week we are doing um a little total totalini, a little Taran, tan, 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 Tarantino um <laughs> movie uh called The Hateful Eight. Is it bad that you're wrong? Oh no! Is it hunger? We're doing hunger. What? <laughs> I swear you said Hateful Eight first. I promise you that I, I write down the order and then the order I read it to you in that time is exactly what's still written here on my phone. 
Okay. Well. Let me. Let me. Hang on. Let me. I'll, I'll triple check to make sure I'm not the idiot. Just to make sure. I've got hunger first. Well, um. We can do hey fly first if you want. We can still change it right now. It's not over until we announce it. It's up to you. Yeah, let's let's change it right now so Fifty doesn't look a dick. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Zach was wrong all along. Anyway, mm. so I mean, yeah, we're doing another hey fly next week, and Zach can you know shove it. I just want everyone to know that I was right. But screw it. You know what? Fitzy's word is law. We're doing the hate flight next week now. It's the first Executive decisions. Tarantino film we're doing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Talk That's one. correct. Yeah. I guess we're not really film bros if, if we waited 22 episodes to do it. That's Maybe true. not, yeah. Thank you guys very much for joining me this week on Cinema Effect. Appreciate your time. Follow the Instagram oh. page. I'm just going to say that now because it's usually neglected. Dude, I said, yo. You've done that before, and I've said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll remember, I'll write that down. But I've kind of got it basically as just social media links here. Hang on, you know, I've got it. I'm writing it right down now. I've got to shout out the Instagram page every time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good shout. Follow the Instagram page like Aiden said. Perfect. All right, I'll do that more. Okay. Follow the Instagram page. Subscribe everywhere. Do all that shit. We appreciate you listening, and we'll see you all next week. Have a great rest of your week, and goodbye.